Hey, uh, this is going to be a uh, great rest of the morning, I believe, because I think God is um, really up to something with us. You know, we're in the middle of this Explore God series. Um, and the goal, of course, is that we would be able to uh, engage in conversations, in spiritual conversations with people all around the city. And I hope and I pray that you've been able to do that over the course of the past several weeks. And so part of what we want to do is we want to give you just a little bit of information, something to think about, some things to consider so that you're able to have a little more information to hopefully inform some of those conversations. So before we get into it with our third idea, talking about God allowing pain and suffering, one of the uh, more exciting and fun things to talk about. Uh, I want you to watch this video, kind of a man on the street, just like you and me, that ask this question fairly often. So let's watch this together. Pain, pain's a part of life. You know, it's, it leaves a sour taste in your mouth. That's, you just have to learn from it. I think some people believe it's a test of your faith, but if you don't have a faith to believe in, it kind of makes you wonder why, why is there suffering in this world? You know, famine and death, that sort of thing. It was a reason why he took them. Uh, maybe he needed some angels up there to protect, protect, to help him in the fight against the devil. A baby is a beautiful, wonderful thing. Why doesn't he want me to have this? I think that bad things are just the way that you see them. Thank God's in everything we do. I don't think God does these things to people. I think he has a way of getting us through it. Why would anybody want to create people who do horrible things to each other each and every day? It doesn't make any sense. because sometimes they put themselves into it and others just, it just happens to them. When my grandma died, she died of cancer like six years ago. And I remember like when she was, like a few days before she passed away, she was like, it couldn't possibly be a God. No one would ever want it. No one would ever want to inflict this pain. Some of the best lessons I've learned in life and the best um, feelings in my heart came from very painful times. I don't think God's sitting there and saying these people are hurting and maybe I should help them or we're, I'm going to pray to this, you know, being and he's going to save me. I don't think that happens. Um, I think he's just there, I guess. <laughs> I'm constantly struggling, I suppose I'll be brutally honest, with uh, suicidal ideation and I find it very miserable often, despite the beauty of the world, to be made conscious in this form. Why? Why, why was the pain? Why, was, why were the little kids shot the other day? I want to know why this happened, but he's showing me that he's here with me. So I suppose the answers will come. It's just I'm going through a journey right now that's painful. I like that woman there at the end. I think I identify most with her. Just... I know, I know there's something, and I think he's working, but 
boy, I just know that I'm just going through things right now, and it's hard. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, in 2006, before we actually, long before we moved here to Austin, we were at a church in Colorado Springs. We were pastoring there. We'd been there. It's actually the sending church that uh, helped us launch One Chapel. And Ross had been there for about 20 years as the worship and uh, senior associate pastor. And I had been there for about 10 years as the youth pastor and loved being there, loved what God was doing. But in 2006, we experienced uh, a, a major scandal that was very, very dark, very difficult, very trying for us, involving leadership. And uh, we had to walk through this major deal that dealt with our own, we felt betrayed. We felt, uh, it was so, so difficult and, and so challenging to ourselves to walk through it, to walk other people through it. And it was kind of a nationwide thing, really, and and through some media outlets, it really was a worldwide thing for a little while. It was very hard to walk through, and I remember in the middle of it, as we're right in the thick, it's all kind of coming out, we had just had a baby recently, our little Aurora, and our little nine-month-old Aurora, one week after everything had hit from that church, one week later, we were at the pediatrician, and she was getting her regular nine-month checkup, and pediatrician he looked at her and he said boy I am, I am really really concerned about her she's not doing a lot of things that she should I'm concerned about her core I'm concerned about I'm concerned about her brain I'm concerned about a lot of things and he used the term hydrocephalus which some of you may be familiar with it has to do with the ventricles in the back of your head kind of being large and so there's excess fluid which means that your brain can get pressed into your skull and can cause developmental delay and even worse problems so he sent us away with this alarm and this this sense that we, we got to hurry up we need to do a bunch of tests we need to check this thing out so Maria and I we took Aurora home and we uh, we went and, and put her down to sleep, and I remember, I remember standing at the kitchen table and just standing there, like for literally 10 minutes, and I didn't know what to say. I didn't know, I didn't know what to say to Maria. I didn't know what to pray. I just felt like, God, is it, are, are you serious? I mean, not only was this this initial thing come out where we're wondering, is there going to be a church here next week? Do we, uh, everything that we've known and believed and trusted friends, uh, I mean, uh, everything seems to be crashing around us. And now in my family too, the possibility of this exists. I mean, what am I supposed to do next? And so I stood frozen, frozen in fear, frozen in security, frozen in discouragement, and I was just stuck. Some of you have probably been in circumstances like that. So we went through, we started going through with, in this process with Aurora, started going and getting the test done. We had to go and get uh, an MRI. And so I remember taking her in there into the room and we had to get her sedated because she's so small and of course you have to be still. So they sedated this little nine-month-old baby and she's fighting off that deep sleep that's coming to knock her out and we have to hold her and she's fighting through it. She doesn't want to go down. And so I'm trying to hold her as she's screaming and crying, knowing what we're, we're about to do. Even though I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to do it, I'm thankful for the doctors, I'm thankful for medicine, I'm still freaking out. 
And so they strap her down. She finally goes out and they strap her head down to the board and they fold up her little arms and with a blanket and she can't move. And I walk into that room with that huge MRI machine and they slide her in. She goes in and there's a little mirror inside and I can see just her little head and her little face. And I was the only one in the room. And I'm standing there and that machine starts for the next 20 or 30 minutes. The sound of that machine, if you've ever been in this, it's really disturbing, man. And it just, it just makes the sound for 20 minutes. And I just stood there by her praying and so unsure. And so we, we, we finished the test finally. And we had a few other things to do, a few more appointments. So we kept walking forward, wondering what we would do next. Had to meet with neurosurgeons. We finally got to the end, kind of the the final neurosurgeon who was supposed to say, here's what we're dealing with and here's what we're going to do. And so he looked at us and he he looked at the x-rays and the MRI and he he came back in the room and he sat down with us and we had our little Aurora and she was standing there and cute little girl. And and he said, "Um, I think think really what we're dealing with here is... um, uh, familial macrocephaly. And I thought, what does that mean? What, what does that mean? This is something new. No one's even talked about this before. And he looked at me, sensing the confusion on my face, and he said, essentially, it's benign big head. <laughs> ben- benign big head. So, So what you're saying is, my daughter has a really big head that isn't going to cause really any problems. And he looked back at me and said, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I'm saying. And then we switched pediatricians then because we didn't like the handling of the other one. And we went, we, we went to the next pediatrician, and she was the first one that said, uh, hey, after he, she had measured uh, Aurora's head, she said, hey, hey, Dad, come here, and let me measure your head. <laughs> so I offered mine to her, and she put the tape around my head. And you know there's a chart that kind of charts your baby's growth, and you're supposed to have little points that show healthy growth along the way. And, um, and there's actually one for adults. I don't know if you know this, but there is one for adults as well. And, uh, and apparently mine didn't really exist on the chart anywhere. It was more a couple points above the chart. And um, so this is something that uh, my father and I share in common. So thank you, Dad, wherever you are this morning. Uh, And of course, that that came to a fairly easy, after quite a season of fear and insecurity, it came to a, a good resolve for us. However, as we continued on, one year later from that initial hit in 2006, the very next year, about one year later, we had, and most of you heard the story, but we had a shooting on our campus. We had an active shooter come onto our church campus on a Sunday morning and opened fire and ended up shooting and killing two teenage girls. Of course, I was the youth pastor at the time. And so this brings about, you know, a whole new phase of, of pain and, and suffering and walking through, not just us personally, but with family members and friends and, 
The darkness of those days was sometimes seemed like it was insurmountable and oftentimes so seemingly senseless. And it's what leads us to ask the questions like we're asking today that why does God allow pain and suffering? I think this is one of the biggest questions that we ask. I think it's one of the it's among at least the largest hurdles that people have to try to get over in service to God. And a lot of times it's hard to get over. You just can't seem to quite climb over it. You'll hear people when you have conversations say things like, I don't see how a loving God could allow things like this in the world. Or they'll say things like, look, if this is, if this is what God is like, then I, I, I don't think I want to serve somebody that's like that. You heard it this morning on that video. And those are real people just answering real questions about it. It's no secret that pain and suffering are a part of our world. We all know it. And we all have our own stories. And if we went around, if we had the time and we talked about it, we would all have incredible stories of loss and divorce and death and pain and suffering that we've all been through. We can all go through major examples, historical examples, sweeping examples of massive tragedies, of earthquakes, of tsunamis, of floods, of genocide, of wars, of human trafficking, of kidnapping, all these horrendous things that do exist in our world. Aren't you glad you came to church today? We even see them this week. You see them in Colorado, the place where we came from, experiencing major floods this week. They said, like, it's like a, a, a thousand-year occurrence. I mean, this just does not happen. When I lived there, it didn't rain there. And now there's some loss of life because of all the rain. We look at uh, Washington, D.C. And, and the Naval Yard and the loss of life that happened with a shooter there this week. All these things that go on in our world that seem so senseless and so difficult. And I know that all of you have your own stories too and you've thought the same thing. Why? It seems so senseless. I want to launch into this with an idea that Ross mentioned last week when he said, listen, and I don't know who he was quoting, unfortunately, but he ended up saying, a God with no mystery is no God at all. And I frankly, I'm, I'm okay with the fact that I can't answer it all. In fact, I, I'm pretty suspicious of anybody who says they can answer it all. And I don't want a God who can be wrapped up neat and nice and tight in my own little box where I've got everything figured out, every decision that he'll make, everything that he will do, the reasons behind everything that he does. I don't want to know that, and I know that we will never know that. We obviously aren't going to answer this question today in 30 minutes. That would really be great, though, wouldn't it? I would really love that. And if I could provide that, man, I would be so excited because I'd be, like, super famous. Just kidding. Except that I would. But I think, even though we can't answer it all, I think there's some really important things for us to consider. For instance, this. I'm going to show you an e-card. And uh, you've seen these on Facebook. And here's what it says. Everything happens for a reason. But sometimes the reason is that you're stupid and make bad decisions. 
Thank you, everybody. God bless you. Have a great day. I actually believe this. <laughs> I do agree with this. See, it's too easy for us when something bad happens, when we experience some kind of pain and suffering. It's too easy for us to quickly assign the blame to, to God or to somebody else. It's easy for us to quickly assign it and say, well, God, he's he doing something and it hurts and it's terrible, but he must want to show me something. Well, I don't know. Or we're quick to say, oh, it's the devil. The devil's really attacking me. He's after me. There's a demon behind every tree, you know. And everywhere I go, they're jumping out. <laughs> they're trying to get to me. So I'm just, everywhere I go, I'm just under attack, under attack, under attack. No, not necessarily. We like to say things like, well, I was on my way to church today, and I was a little late, so I was speeding a little bit. Just a little bit, 10 miles or so over. And uh, that cop was sitting there and he pulled out, came and pulled me over, gave me a ticket on the way to church. I told him, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm going to worship God. And he gave me a ticket. Can you believe that? The devil's really attacking me. No, you made a choice and you put the foot down and you disobeyed the law on your way to church. You got a ticket. It was your decision. So this highlights kind of the big idea. I think one of the frameworks that we can start with today that may be helpful to you is to consider the fact that there are four forces that are at work in the world. Four forces that are at work. One is God's will. One is the devil's will. One is man's will. That's your will or woman's will, which apparently oftentimes is stronger than man's will. Just saying My wife is sitting on the front row. I love you. Okay, we'll talk later. Uh, and then, of course, there's natural law. Natural law, just things that happen. I want to go through these really quickly together as, a, as an overall framework for the rest of our discussion because I think that these four wills are at work all the time, and they're all intertwined. They just kind of work. They weave in and out all the time. And you never know exactly where you are. Because our lives, as they continue and progress, our lives weave in and out all through them. And, so, and it's not so clean and simple as that. There may be different areas of your life that are weaving at the same time. So while uh, your career may be being impacted by one of these forces, perhaps your marriage is being more impacted by another one of these forces. Your relationship with your children is being impacted by another one of these forces, and so on and so forth. You understand where I'm going with that. And so I think this is the way it works. And so, so they're always moving, always intertwining, and it's difficult to always know exactly where you are. It's why we shouldn't be so quick to assign the blame. So let's look at them just, just, just not in depth, but just, just a little bit further. First is God's will, John 10.10. 10. John 10.10, 10, the second half, most of us are familiar with it. There's lots of ways that we could talk about God's will. But for our time today, let's just go straight to this. John 10.10, 10, 
that says what? That Jesus came so that we may have life and have it to the full. That we may have life and have abundant life. God's will for us ultimately is that we have and experience life. And often we talk about God's will, we go straight to God's plans. His plans, his blueprint, what he wants for us. And I think that's fine. It's it's a decent thing to say, but I like to think of God's will more in terms of God's purposes for our lives. I have started using more God's purposes instead of just God's plans. To me, God's plans, it seems like we're saying there's a step-by-step process, an actual blueprint that if you miss this step, man, you're in trouble. That's not the way God works. God is working with a purpose, an eventual purpose that he's trying to bring about in every single one of us. And God's purpose for us is to help us discover him, to know him, to help others to know him. And yes, he uses many things in our lives to accomplish his purpose in us. And sometimes pain and suffering can be among them. As difficult as that is for some of us to accept. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. But we have to become convinced that God's will and God's purpose is for us to have life and life to the full. Second will is the devil's will. The first part of that scripture is John 10.10. 10. first part says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This is what the devil wants for each one of us. This is what the enemy, the devourer, this is what he wants. To steal from you, to kill you, to destroy you, to destroy God's purposes for you, to make sure that you don't make it. And this is why anytime there's pain and suffering, why he is one of the initial ones that we go to. Well, if there's pain and suffering going on in my life, then it must be that the devil is attacking me. And in some cases, that would be true. But not all the time. It just makes the most sense. Yeah, maybe. But it's not always true. Because, as we saw in the wisdom of the e-card, man has a will too. Man has a will too. We all have a will. We've all been given freedom by God to make our own choices. Unfortunately, that means sometimes those choices do end up in pain and suffering. Sometimes we suffer for the choices and decisions we make, and sometimes other people suffer because of the decisions and the choices that we have made. This is the case in what I mentioned from the church we were pastoring at in 2006. Someone else made choices that affected our lives deeply and gravely. I think about circumstances like in the news recently, like the the man in Ohio. It's a tragic circumstance. Ariel Castro, who kidnapped those three women and kept them for a decade in his home. The horrendous difficulty of that situation. And while I would say certainly there's, a, there's a, a demonic scheme, a thing behind how horrific that is, at some point along the way, there were decisions made by a man 
that caused so much of that pain and suffering. I do think it's true that when we live too long in our own will, in man's will, that it does just have a way of ending up in the devil's will. So knowing that, knowing that things like that happen, knowing that that's a result of our own choices, then why would God allow for us to have those kinds of freedoms? I think the short and probably for the sake of time today, overly simplistic answer is relationship. It's for relationship. He wanted an authentic relationship with us. And so he, of course, as our creator, he knows that a forced relationship isn't a relationship. He knows that forced obedience on us is not true obedience. He knows that forced surrender is really no authentic surrender at all. He knows all of these things. God did not want us to be robots roaming around the earth that he could just control. He's not there on Sunday mornings as we're gathering. He's not up there saying, let's see, I want all these guys to worship me, so I'm going to get out my little remote control feature. And I'm going to push the buttons that make him worship. That Marty Irwin, I like when he raises his hand. So let's push the, hey, Holy Spirit, push the Marty Irwin, uh, raise your hand button. Now make him do the robot. Just kidding. I won't go any further with that. Oh, I love it. I love it when uh, I love it when we make Marty do the, the guitar thing. Hey, hey, do that thing. Push the button. And Marty goes around the circle playing and he said hey oh i love that it's good worship do it again do it again send him around again Ooh, i wonder if marty's getting dizzy yet you know that's not what he wanted what did he want he wanted intimacy with us he wanted relationship with us he wanted to be close to us he wanted us to have the opportunity to surrender our lives on our own he wanted the opportunity for us to be obedient to him because we love him He wanted to have an authentic and genuine relationship, so he allowed us the freedom to be able to choose him. But sometimes our choices result not in that kind of relationship, but in pain. So free will, I think, was worth the risk to him for genuine relationship with him. And then, of course, we've got natural law. Natural law, we, we live in a fallen world. God's original design in the garden with Adam and Eve, the animals, it was perfect, it was beautiful, it was innocent, and it was ruined by sin. And it became a broken place, and we ended up in a broken and a fallen world where, unfortunately, bad things just happen sometimes. Naturally, your body, if you go to Gordo's Donuts and you eat too many times there, Your belt isn't going to fit anymore. You're going to struggle. Your arteries are not going to be looking so good. If you drink too much, if you smoke three packs a day, you're going to eventually have some issues. You may have some health issues. It's just part of your physical makeup. It's a natural law. You with me? If, uh, if we look at earthquakes and we look at tsunamis and floods and things like that, we live in a fallen world and things do just happen regardless of what you've heard on TV or read on the interwebs. 
It's not God just punishing some individual or group of people for something bad that they did once. That's not the way that it works. You still here? (laughs) Bad things do happen. And the only place where God's will is done perfectly is in heaven. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, it's the Lord's Prayer. And it's why Jesus taught us to pray the way he did. This is the point. He said, listen, when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, I want you to pray this way. Say, our Father who art in heaven. Establishing the relationship, understanding who he is and how much he loves you. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name is great and above all. Your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Why did he tell us to pray that way? Because he understood. He knew as the creator that this is the way it worked. That his will was not done all the time in every situation on the face of the earth. But he said pray that way and pray that way often. So it can be done. So as we pray, that is what happens. Oftentimes, as we're praying, then God's will is being done. It's overtaking our will, or it's overtaking the devil's will. And this is an incredible and powerful idea. And oftentimes, that is the way it works. But sometimes, it doesn't work just that way. At least, not in the moment. Ultimately, Ultimately, God is going to have his way. So hear me clearly. I, I don't mean to say that God is afar off and he's far removed. And he doesn't care. And he, he formed us out of the dirt and he breathed life into us. And he spun the earth around and he said, hey, everybody, good luck. You make your own decisions, your own choices, and good luck. I don't believe that at all. I believe that God is sovereign. And at the end of the day, he is going to have his way. We like to say it like this, that God has an infinite number of responses to all of the decisions that we make. So he's able to work within all of the free will decisions that we make to eventually accomplish his purpose. But we're still in the middle of all of it. We're still having to fight. We're still having to wrestle. We're still having to trust God. We're still having to pray. We're still having to rely on the Holy Spirit to guide us and to lead us through. And he's given us everything that we need to make it. But here and now, we've got to continue to grapple with the question. All right, so we've got a helpful framework maybe, but, but why? Still, why? Why is it that he could stop things, but he, he allows them to happen? Again, I, I wish I could just tell you the answer to that. But can I just be really, 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 really honest? We don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows. And as I said already, I'm very suspicious of people who actually say they've got it all figured out and they know. Nobody ultimately knows. But we do know this. The one thing that we know for sure is that Jesus is the hope in the midst of all of our pain and suffering. 
And in Christ, we have a depth of resources to face suffering with hope and courage. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5 says this. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It says, We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. It means that when we face these kinds of things, we don't have to be bitter. We don't have to be fearful. We don't have to be discouraged. We don't have to live in anxiety. We don't have to despair because we can trust in the hope of the Lord Jesus. If you go on to Romans chapter 6, it's interesting because it says, well, then should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of this wonderful grace that he's been discussing? Of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead, you listen? Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that our sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead, and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you, all, so you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God. Through Jesus Christ. So I think the, the biblical view of suffering, the biblical view of pain, the biblical view of all that we go through in this life is this. It is resurrection. It is life. It's not some consolation for the life that you got robbed of while you were here. The hope that we have in Jesus is resurrection. The hope that we have in Jesus is restoration of the life that he wanted us to have and the life that you, I think, always wanted to have. One day in Christ, every horrible thing that has happened will not only be undone and repaired, but will in some way make that eventual glory and joy even greater. 
And we're in the process of all of that working out right now. The process of that resurrection power. We're working in it. And he's working in in us as we surrender to the work of Christ. And we surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's working. His kingdom has come. And it is settled. And it is here. His resurrection life is here. And you can have hope in it. But we have to wrestle through it. And see it come more and more. And one day it will all be restored. One day everything will be made right. It's not going to be right now, but it is coming one day. We just finished up the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's a great resource for you if you have kids. Reading it with our kids at night. We just finished it up in Revelation. At the end of Revelation in that Bible, it gives a quote that I, I think maybe originally came from Tolkien. I'm not sure. But it said that everything sad is coming untrue. Everything sad is coming untrue. This is the work that we are currently involved in, in the kingdom of God. And we have great hope because of it. You don't have to be discouraged. You don't have to be overwhelmed. What you have to do is simply say yes and learn to trust. Not point the finger, not point the blame and say, he did it, she did it, he did it. I did it. Less of that and more of for whatever the reason that I cannot comprehend and fully explain, I know that in the middle of it, and I'm going to choose to believe that he is with me. It's the reason why he came. It's the reason for the incarnation. It's the reason that God came in human flesh and wrapped himself and lived and died on the cross and rose again and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he sent the Holy Spirit to be the what? The comforter for every single one of us. And that's 2 Corinthians 1.3. And I'll close with this. So if you guys want to come back up, 2 Corinthians 1.3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. And here it is. Walk away, would you please, with this statement? The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Hmm. That comfort that we receive is not only for us. It's also for the world in which we live. I know, I one of the dangers of not having much time and not being able to discuss it. This should be a massive series that we go through. One of the difficulties of a message like this is that you just don't get to cover all the essential bases and things that we could and should talk about. And, and more questions pop up. Yeah, but what about, yeah, but what about, yeah, but what about, yeah, but what about, but that's the point, isn't it? We're always going to have more questions never going to be able to say this is exactly why but I can be okay with that because I have great hope in my Jesus because I believe that he is good and I've seen the evidence of it over and over and over again through every trial 
through death, through loss, through scandal, through fear of my own impending death with an active shooter on our campus as I'm listening to all that happening and I'm hunkered down with my children, holding on to them, wondering if he's going to walk in that door and take aim at me and my family. And even in that moment, Jesus is with me. And Jesus is with you. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes for a moment? The God of all comfort. One of the things that happens as we talk about these kinds of ideas is that it does highlight for us our own pains and sufferings. It highlights our own grief and our own loss and our own struggles, our own trials and temptations, our own uh, lack in our lives. For some of us, we're experiencing those kinds of trials and and issues. And for others of us, it's simply that we're kind of on the outside of a true intimate relationship with God that he really wants to have with every one of us. And regardless of where you are today, I wonder if you're kind of like that last woman on the video that says, I don't know, I'm hoping that there's something that he's moving forward and there's going to be a rescue, but I just, oh, what I know is that today I hurt. I wonder if everyone's eyes closed and heads bowed, not to hide anything, but just so that you don't have to feel awkward. You would like us just to take just to take a moment to pray for you. Let the family surround you. Let the life of Jesus engulf you. Let his purposes come alive in you. If that's you in any way, shape, or form, would you just gently just lift up your hand real quick and just give me a little wave? Yeah. Yep, 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 yeah. Yep. Anybody else just say, man, I, and you're not really, you're not really lifting a hand for me. Your hand is acknowledgement to Jesus, just saying, I am in need, and I don't know where else to go, so would you help me? Jesus, would you help me? Would you let hope come alive in my heart today? Yeah, more, more, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, let him know. Don't worry about me. Let him know. sacrifice on the cross, we're able to re-enter. 
want us to pray together and make a confession of that. And if it's you and you want to say yes to him, then I want you to pray that prayer out loud with me. But first, let's pray for all of these. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you administer the life of God to this one chapel family. Those of us who call this place home week after week after week and this local church family that you're raising up that you are building and those who are maybe on the outside and who are just friends who are coming in maybe for the first time here sitting in certainly not outside of the family but just not here every week week in and week out to participate Lord I pray that today for every individual that you would speak life and truth and hope God, I pray that the questions, though all-consuming at times, would be able to be lessened and that the lenses of our lives would be able to be stripped away and moved away and focused not just on why, why, why does this happen, but instead to focus on the person of Jesus and to trust that regardless of the why, that you are there in the midst so that we can move forward in you. So today, in a very real and tangible way, I pray for healing. I pray for the healing power of God in every situation of every hand that's been raised. I pray for broken hearts to be mended in the name of Jesus. I pray for the life of the Spirit of God to bring restoration and, yes, resurrection, even as we've talked about today that there would be a restoration of all things, that everything sad would continue to become untrue as more of the kingdom of God grows in our lives. And we say yes to you in the work of the Spirit. I pray for relationships to be restored. I pray for forgiveness to come. I pray for the life of God to sweep over. I pray for bodies that aren't functioning to be made whole in Jesus pray for prodigals who are lost to come home. I pray for those who are bound up in sin and poor decision making, that you would set them free and release them from chains in Jesus' name. And let the power of God flow freely in our lives as we say yes to you, yes to your Holy Spirit, and yes to your work in us. And now, if you would, all over this room, everybody in the room, would you just say this prayer with me as we make a commitment to serve him and to seek him? And if you have never prayed this, or if you're praying it again, just pray it from your gut. Say, Dear Jesus, I choose today to believe in you. I choose today to follow you. I choose today to surrender to you. I choose to walk away from my old life and to give my life completely to you. I'm yours. Forgive me for my sins. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Thank you that you died on the cross. Thank you that you rose again. Thank you that you did it because you love me. I receive your work today. Restore me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name.